expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Menconi. Taiwan's mandatory military service will soon be a thing of the past as the country prepares for the shift to an all-volunteer force. However, for generations, these years of service were a common experience for the vast majority of Taiwanese men, for many serving as a definitive rite of passage. Today on Taiwan Talk, we sit down with one of the many men who has shared in that experience, but unlike almost any of those who came before or after, T.C. Locke is, well, to put it bluntly, a white guy. In appearance, anyway, he grew up in the U.S. and his family is from Oklahoma. But after gaining citizenship in Taiwan in 1994, Locke spent two years in the Army, mostly served in the Guard Company at a base in Miaoli. I caught up with him recently to talk about his new book, Barbarian at the Gate, which describes his journey from leaving the U.S. to study in Taiwan, eventually moving to Taiwan and gaining citizenship, and then, like any other male Taiwanese citizen, serving his mandatory military service. Here's our conversation. TC, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So... You were going to college in Virginia at Washington and Lee University in, in the late 80s, and you made the then at least fairly unusual choice of studying Chinese language. And then just two years into the program, you packed your bags for Taichung for a, a Mandarin language program. So in your book, you describe uh, upon arriving in Taiwan this feeling of belonging, this feeling like you found something in Taiwan that you could really I- engage with. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, what do you feel like it was you found in Taiwan? It's very strange. It's very difficult to explain. And I imagine a lot of expats have a similar difficulty explaining. It was, it was a feeling of belonging to a place I'd never been before, which is, which is odd in itself. But I think, for me personally, I think it was... I've felt a bit on the outside from my childhood. And I think that arriving in a society, in a country that doesn't officially exist in, in most of the world, doesn't belong to the UN, the people of Taiwan have been in this situation for decades and it's sort of like living in this society where nothing is quite there and nothing is not there and it's sort of living in the in the in-between spaces and it's sort of the way I felt since since I was a kid was sort of like being in between accepted and not accepted and and sort of I felt an affinity for this society I think as a result. And you talk about in the book even when you just arrived you sort of slipped into the society a lot more naturally than even some of your other, uh, the other people in your program who tended to hang out at expat bars and hang out with other expats. Why do you think it was that you were so attracted to getting in, uh, deeper and deeper into the society, and why do you feel like it came so naturally to you? I think it was because I never really truly fit into the society when I was growing up in the States, and I think that made it easier for me, having less of an attachment to any other society to sort of join this one in a way. Now, you did spend a little bit of time in China, and you didn't have those kinds of feelings about China. So it it seems like there is really something about Taiwan in particular uh, that was uh, attractive to you. Uh, Outside of the political situation, was, was there anything about life in Taiwan that was really appealing to you? Well, Taiwan and China are two very different places, I've found. And it seems to me that, uh, 
the political situation has an effect on the society, and and it's you can't avoid talking about the political situation because it sort of trickles down into uh, the national psyche. And uh, the situation in China, it seems everything. There's no real system that people can re- rely on uh, to go about their lives, and it's sort of like everything is rather makeshift. And you've got the one-party system, and that's the way things are. Whereas in Taiwan, there's, I think, a greater sense of hope for the future, for the lack of a better term, because there's more possibilities. And people have been in this situation for decades, as I said, and they know how things work, and they know there's there's a potential for change. So you spent several years in Taiwan, and uh, you know I, you're, you're not the only person to fall in love with Taiwan. But you took it one step further. After after several years living here, you actually decided to become a Taiwanese citizen. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how how you went about doing that, and and why you made that decision? Well, granted, this is back in 1994, so this was before the permanent residency and before a lot of the the current、uh, possibilities for expats, and so. At that time, it was basically,、uh, if I wanted to stay in Taiwan and do what I wanted to do, that was really the only option for me. I could have stayed on a visa and and be assigned to a permanent job somewhere, and but I would always be jumping through hoops. And also, I was in my early twenties, so <laughs> I was a little bit more impulsive than I than I am today. But、uh, really, to me, the only possibility at the time was to acquire citizenship. So it was almost a practical decision more than anything else. Well, it was. I made a go of, of working in China and being the expat, and after a year of it, it just it didn't sit well with me. And I figured if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this halfway. I'm going to I'm going to go all the way, and I don't regret it. So, in your book, you describe when you got your citizenship, you you had given a little bit of thought to the military draft in Taiwan, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't at the front of your mind. And you you actually、uh, you you managed to live in Taiwan for a year before that you heard anything from the government, hearing nothing from them. And and at that point, you were just kind of integrated into the society. You had a job as a cameraman at that point. But then one day. A letter comes in the mail, and it's calling you up for a draft, calling you up to、uh, to, to serve in the military.、Uh, what was going through your head when you first saw that letter?、Uh, well, I I should have known that it would happen because even though all my friends said, "Well, there's no way you're going to have to serve," and they're bas- they're basically basing that on the fact that you're not ethnically Chinese and therefore you won't have to serve. And realistically speaking, my appearance doesn't. Appear in my records, so <laughs> all the people at the draft board see is a name and the fact that you're a citizen, that you're male, you're of a certain age, and therefore you have to serve. And so they they really I shouldn't have expected any sort of special treatment, and indeed I didn't really want any special treatment. So at that moment, I had prepared mentally. I think deep deep down, I I knew that it would probably happen. I was just sort of ignoring it for the moment, but it was it was a shock and surprise. But it shouldn't have been, really. I mean, it's something that I sh- I should have had to do. So, so you went off to Xinjiang for basic training, and then、uh, you you served the rest of your time in Miaoli. And、uh, in your book, you talk about the fact that your duties were really just the same as everybody else. You you were just a normal soldier, just like everybody else. Could you could you talk a little bit about how you spent your time during the military? What were, what were your main duties? Well, in, in basic, they have a, a in basic usually towards the end of basic training. They have officers come in and they they pick soldiers for whatever duties. And I was for some reason 
sure that somebody would need a native English speaker in the entire army. Surely they must have someone needing that, but um, it was just my luck. Nobody did. And so um, I was in the guard company for most of my time. The base had the two main gates on each side and then side gates all around the perimeter. And so we would just rotate and we'd, we would stand guard most of the time. And then when we weren't standing guard, we would train for various reasons, you know, just combat stuff. And so b- before you made it into the military, you had already lived in Taiwan for quite a while. Your Chinese had progressed a lot. How was it integrating into the forces? Did, uh, how, how did other soldiers view you uh, when you were in the military? Well, at first, in basic training, it was just chaos, and there was so much going on that nobody paid really much attention to me because there was just too much going on. And then afterwards, when I got assigned to Miali, people were a bit surprised at first, but they got used to me very quickly. Actually, one of my experiences in Taiwan has been the greater chance there is of encountering a foreigner in any situation, the bigger a deal people will make about it. And if you're, if you're in a situation such as being in the army or showing up for the draft or, or going to vote, for example, nobody bats an eye when I show up. They just don't assume that a foreigner would ever be there, and therefore a foreigner isn't there, basically. <laughs> and so I just show up, and they're like, ID, ID, stamp, okay, and there you go, you're done. Whereas if you're in Tianmu, like walking down with a map, a map in your hand looking for, I don't know, some Gramanides or one of those restaurants or whatever, people are like, oh, mommy, mommy, look, a foreigner. So, so in general, it sounds like you had a fairly uh, a typical military experience, even though you weren't a, a, a typical soldier. From what I've heard from other soldiers, I didn't have the worst, the absolute worst uh, experience, and I didn't have a, a very... The, the cream of the crop for the, the military lots is like the aid position or, or you know, uh, administration, that sort of thing. But I had a pretty, pretty regular, ordinary army experience. Now, any army is a rough place. Any army in the world is obviously a rough place, but Taiwan in particular is, is known to have uh, a pretty brutal environment for its, for its conscripts, especially. And in your book, you detail some of the verbal abuse that you received from commanding officers and the hazing you received from uh, other senior soldiers. Of those, of those experiences, what still sticks out to you? Well, that was a really educational experience for me because my personality, I don't, I'm rather stubborn, and... I butted heads with some of the senior soldiers, which you're not supposed to do. And I think I learned through that a bit how to deal with such people. And I think one of the things I I learned in the Army uh, was how to deal with all kinds of people, because everybody has to be in the Army, basically. So you have to deal with all kinds of of people. And I I sort of refracted that onto myself, and, and after a while I came to view myself as, if not a typical Taiwanese person, a kind of Taiwanese person, one kind of Taiwanese person. Mm -hmm. Because really, you have everybody. You have all sorts in there, but they're all Taiwanese. And so that was one of the things I learned and one of the things I learned about myself. Basically, not to try to categorize myself as being a foreigner or a Taiwanese. Uh, There's no real possibility of me being completely Taiwanese. I'm a kind of Taiwanese, as I said. But there's no reason to force myself to be something that I'm not. And while I'm not completely Taiwanese, I'm not completely foreign. I'm not completely American either. I'm just, I'm just me. And so 
that was one of the things that I was sort of forced to learn in the army, just to, just to get by. So after your military service, um, I want to read a passage from your book that comes after you've left the military. You say, and you're talking about Taipei here, you say, the street seemed larger, less foreign, more a part of me and myself a part of them. I was home again for the first time. That's a pretty powerful statement. I'm home again for the first time. What, what was it about your experience in the military that you feel like brought you to that feeling? I think it was the unvarnished uh, contact with, it sounds very pretentious, but the real face of Taiwanese society. I think it's, it was a chance to experience life here without any sort of bubble in between me and the people around me. And you can, you can tell in Taiwanese people's, people's reactions to Westerners that for a long time, in decades past, uh, there, was, there, was, there were foreign enclaves, there, were, uh, there was a distance between Westerners, uh, foreigners, and Taiwanese. And I, I think that this was a chance for me to get past that, and it made me feel that this previously unseen part of the society is something now that I know very intimately. And it's something that is, it's also a common experience with most of the people that you see on the street, the guys anyway. So that, I think, sort of it led me through the gate, as it were, you know. And that was one of the reasons I, I chose that title for the book. Mm. Because you feel like there was, there was a barrier there, uh, a barrier of experience that you haven't had. And, and, and after you'd been through the military, that wasn't there anymore? In one way, yeah. And in, in, in a lot of ways, the barrier was myself. The barrier was I was the barbarian at the gate, and it was it was getting past myself. In what way? Well, as as I said before, uh, letting go of of trying to force myself into being a certain identity, be it purely Taiwanese or purely Westerner or American or whatever. The Taiwanese fluidity of identity that has been developed over here by necessity after you know being colonized by the Japanese and, and previous colonists and subsequent colonists is something that I think I learned from and I sort of tried to integrate. I originally identified with it, but I also learned from it. And I sort of used that to get along with myself as well as getting along with society here. And, and sort of picking up on a point that you made a, a second ago, you point out in the book that a way that a lot of Taiwanese men relate to one another is this kind of one-upsmanship of, you know, you think you had it bad in the military, I'll tell you my story. Yeah. Uh, and now you can kind of take part in that. Ha- has that been an important part of your post-military experience, is kind of sharing that with other uh, Taiwanese men? Certainly. And as the military service dwindles, it's, what, 11 months now? Mm. And it's, it's going to, like, be volunteers soon people hear that oh you were in for two years that's a long time and um back then they say you were in in the mid 90s and they're like oh things were really tough back then because that was before everyone had an iphone and everybody was posting their experiences to next media or whatever and so back then there was a lot that went around went along in the in the military that you didn't uh you wouldn't normally expect mm. but uh that was not reported mm-hmm Mm-hmm. But now you couldn't get away with that. Right. So you, at least for the guys that are younger than you, you, you can actually win that, that <laughs> argument. Some of them, yeah. Some of them, I, I couldn't win it with like a frogman or something <laughs> like that. Uh, hardcore Marines and stuff like that. But uh, regular Marines, possibly. <laughs> right. And, and so picking up on this theme of having this kind of fluid identity, as you've pointed out, your formative years were in the U.S. Your appearance is still Caucasian. How would you describe 
you're feeling moving about in Taiwanese society at this point? Are there still points of friction? Are there still ways where you're, you're made to feel like an outsider? Or, or, or is that something that, you know, is just part of the experience for you and it's just something that's worked within rather than something to be particularly frustrated or upset about? Well, you have to put these things in, in their context. Uh, there's always going to be people that have problems or see me in a certain way. That's always going to be the case. But it's just not a priority for me, those people. And they don't really matter in the course of my life, in the course of my day, if I meet someone. And I, I, I very rarely meet that situation. I hear about foreigners complaining, oh, I went to a bank and they only spoke English with me and, and they didn't serve me and stuff like that. Uh, that very rarely happens to me. And I think a lot of it is probably my demeanor or the fact that I just went in and started speaking Chinese or whatever. I don't know. But for, for whatever reason... I don't get a lot of the stuff that a lot of expats complain about. And do you feel like that might be because of your experience diving into Taiwanese society and your, your openness to that? I think I've, I managed to fit in here from the beginning. I think I, I managed to fit in here pretty well, but the Army experience certainly was a step beyond that. And I think that that has also had an effect on my behavior. When I got back to work after, after I, I got out of the Army, I went back to the same company. And they said that I was different. I was just different somehow. And uh, they could tell. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I can't tell myself, but mm. that's what they say. So before this book, before this, uh, this newest edition that's in English, you actually also released this in Chinese. And uh, part of the reason that you're releasing this now is because you're doing this through a new publishing company based in Taiwan that's almost kind of focusing on Taiwanese issues as well. It's called Camp for Press. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about how uh, you came to release this through Camp for Press? Well, the guys at Camp for Press have been nothing but helpful, and they've been very professional. And they're focusing, as you said, their works on works about Taiwan. And I just felt it was a right fit, and they've been very respectful about the work, and I can't say enough good about them. I think they've just been really good, and th uh, some of them are friends of mine I've known. They've been bugging me for a while as I was preparing the manuscript, you know, please publish it with us. And in the end, I gave in. I said, you know, you're enthusiastic about work, and uh, you're good at what you do. And my experience with the Chinese uh, publication was with, through another publisher, a local publisher, and their big-name publishing house, but they didn't really give the Chinese version much publicity. Granted, that was during SARS, but uh, I was disappointed with the big house uh, publishing experience, so I felt this time I would go with a, a small independent publisher and who were really into the work and really enthusiastic about it. And so far, they've done a great job. The book is Barbarian at the Gate, From the American Suburbs to the Taiwanese Army. It's available now on Amazon.com and through Camp for Press. T.C. Locke, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Taiwan Talk. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page or rate and review Taiwan Talk on iTunes. This helps us bring you the kind of shows you want to hear and makes it easier for other people to discover the program. For ICRT, I'm Keith Menconi.